Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with Mi Qian Wei. This year, global leaders and stakeholders will gather in the World Economic Forum's annual meeting to talk about rebuilding trust, this year's theme. There will be a large Chinese presence there at the annual forum this year. Chinese Premier Li Qiang will also be there and speak on the 16th of January. The annual forum offers crucial space to focus on mending trust, including transparency, consistency, and accountability. They are critical to achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals. It's also about striking a balance between economic growth and ecological sustainability. On the annual forum and its green agenda, I talked to Kim Hui Neil, the managing director for the Center of Nature and Climate at the World Economic Forum. Are you looking forward to Davos? Yes, we are all very much looking forward to Davos and also uh, seeing you in person again. The topic this year is really going to the hearts of many, which is about rebuilding trust. How is climate change, uh, green development, and uh, also biodiversity, the cause that you are so passionate about, going to contribute to that discussion? Yeah, uh, the theme of rebuilding trust really builds on the history and the mission of the forum which is around building public-private partnerships, uh, which is anchored on our values of moral, intellectual integrity, independence and impartiality. Climate and nature is an existential challenge for all of us. Right? It is also an area where global collaboration is needed for us to address uh, this challenge. And hence, uh, the need for us to build common ground, foster dialogue, build trust, and uh, catalyzed partnerships will be a key focus of this meeting. China's economy is in a period of transition, now looking at uh, several new priorities such as new infrastructure, new consumption, and also new energy. So how do you see the forum and the discussion this time at the annual meeting is going to interact with China on those important topics? Yeah, we're very much looking forward uh, to welcome uh, Chinese Premier Li Qiang as well as the Chinese delegation uh, to Davos uh, next week. China is one of the largest economies, it's the largest global trading nation, fastest growing, very large population, and I think we stand a much better chance of addressing global problems and challenges with China's active engagement. And we know that with the current climate and environmental crisis, uh, we need to rethink production consumption models. Uh, just give an example, right now, uh, in terms of resource use, we are consuming and borrowing from the future. 1.75 times more uh, Earth's resources. And we need to really rethink and innovate on uh, the economies of the future to be more aligned uh, with planetary boundaries, as the scientists would advise all of us. Right? Uh, and this scope for innovation in policy scope for innovation in technology, innovation in solutions, business models, is something that uh, we hope uh, and we, we believe that China will be able to actively contribute to, right, uh, and, uh, and be part of the solution process. Now, you know, this time there's going to be a very large Chinese delegation, uh, both uh, from the government and also uh, from the business uh, community. How do you see what are the key messages you are trying to spread among them? And also what kind of response are you expecting 
or looking forward to having uh, in, uh, in terms of the direction of climate change and green development? The focus of the meeting will be around connecting science, business and policy. Right. Uh, so a large part of the meeting will be to bring forward the latest in climate science to help uh, leaders, government as business leaders understand the risks that we are confronted with. Right. Uh, and more importantly, to focus on solutions and partnerships. Uh, Chinese businesses, uh, government leaders have a very strong role uh, to play in contributing, uh, exchanging ideas as well as perspectives on how the global community can come together, whether it is in trade relations, whether it is in value chain partnerships, engagement of suppliers, to foster our transition towards a net zero, nature positive future that provides uh, better living opportunities for everyone. One example about China's green development, of course, uh, is reflected in the production and also the use of EV, you know, electronic cars. Uh, we see uh, Chinese enterprises not only doing that here in China, but also in different parts of the world. But others uh, wonder whether uh, these kinds of healthy development will be uh, interrupted by uh, trade embargoes and obstacles disguised as uh, trade policies. Uh, or investigations. What is your take? Right now, climate change is affecting every one of us. Uh, 2023 was on record the hottest year, uh, and we are seeing a lot of unprecedented weather events, whether these are droughts, wildfires, floods. And we know that these uh, extreme weather conditions will happen in increased intensity and frequency. Uh, yes, there is a multilateral process uh, around climate issues, but there are also a lot of community efforts, business uh, uh, commitments and action to shift towards a much more sustainable future. Right? Uh, so we actually see this momentum uh, growing. It's unstoppable. Right? Uh, we know that it needs to accelerate and we believe that it will uh, continue to uh, grow in momentum as more companies and governments translate their ambition, commitments, to practical strategy and actions uh, across their value chains and within communities. How do you uh, read, once again, the necessity of development technologies? And on the other hand, uh, the lack of a sharing of technologies and also the lack of consensus to work together for better technologies? And I think this is where uh, constant dialogue, uh, building trust would make a significant difference. Uh, technology indeed pre presents a lot of opportunities for us to scale up and speed up on the transitions uh, towards a more sustainable future. And at the forum, we are committed to helping to uh, foster dialogue and uh, proactive uh, discussions and solutions to discuss the risks of uh, technology and to think about what are the right governance, global governance arrangements that are needed to help us uh, mm. harness technology as a force for good. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we've set up an AI Governance Alliance group. It's got 230 members from all around the world, uh, expertise who will talk about the opportunities in technology, what are the developments, but more importantly, how we can meaningfully as well as responsibly deploy these technologies uh, for its application, whether it is in manufacturing or in other aspects of our industry uh, and, uh, and economic systems. 
I know you work so much on this area in terms of developing green technologies. To you, what are some of the most important uh, directions that these technologies need to be developed, improved and shared? There are a few developments that are of a lot of interest uh, for us at the forum. Uh, one is around Earth data, right? How we can actually uh, use uh, surveillance systems to actually uh, better monitor where are the hotspots, how can we actually uh, allow for faster response to climatic events, right? And this actually helps to provide a second layer of defence to companies as well as to the, the people at the front lines, the farmers, the fishers, uh, in preparing and adapting to climate realities. Uh, and that definitely presents a, a lot of opportunity. Uh, the second area that is very, of a lot of interest to companies, obviously, in the area of artificial intelligence. And uh, a lot mm. of the conversations in the annual meeting will be around uh, the opportunities around AI, whether it is in the advanced manufacturing uh, or in other aspects to complement uh, uh, the workforce of the future. But more importantly, also to think about what are the risks with uh, AI and how we can actually make sure that uh, it is uh, deployed in a way that is responsible and also uh, help us mitigate the risks of misuse. There is such an increasing gap, unfortunately, between the developed and the developing economies, especially uh, in the aftermath of the pandemic. Uh, that also applies to the latter's capabilities to deal with climate change, uh, uh, to uh, take advantage of existing technologies, to cultivate their talents and also their workforce, uh, to uh, take advantage of the existing technologies. So uh, in that regard, Kim uh, Huey, what is the forum doing this time in order to, as much as possible, narrow that gap? Uh, we need to look at how to uh, provide uh, solutions to allow for better adaptability of uh, farmers and communities at the front line and uh, already suffering the consequences of climate changes. I also want to talk about the opportunities as opposed to just emphasizing the risks, which is that there are a lot of uh, uh, biodiversity resources that actually reside in these emerging developing economies. And we think about new growth models of the future. Uh, we can actually look at how we can protect, restore uh, natural capital, and provide an economic means uh, of support uh, to these communities who are also the stewards of the land and the ocean. That is so critical uh, for us if we want to secure a future uh, that is with clean air, fresh waters, and uh, intact ecosystems. I'll give you an example. Uh, at the forum, we have an initiative called the Trillion Trees Initiative. And this initiative mm -hmm. has grown over the last four years uh, it's got an active chapter in China, in India, as well as in Africa, Sahil region, and in Latin America. And this initiative continues to grow with corporate pledges of more than uh, 10 billion uh, trees, right, uh, to conserve and restore landscapes. And at the same time, we are also building ecosystems to support communities and also to find uh, means by which uh, it can be economically viable and sustainable and scalable. Right, uh, whether this is through carbon markets or through uh, economies that are regenerative, uh, agriculture, and other ways uh, where we can be more, uh, live in more harmonious uh, relation with nature. So uh, there are initiatives that are ongoing uh, to see how we can better support and work with uh, many of these communities to support and, uh, and each other in this journey towards uh, a climate-friendly future. Mm. 
The year 2024, Gimhui, though it's a very challenging year, it's uh, more than a few uh, dozens of countries are having their elections, uh, including some of the major economies in the world. And therefore, many say uh, there could be flip-flop policies coming out of these countries. Some people would even say that no matter how much we try right now, it's going to change anyway. So what's the point of working so hard in order to rebuild trust? The trust is going to be destroyed anyway, eventually, after all of this. Uh, your take. The climate and nature crisis is a humanitarian crisis. So regardless of your political uh, beliefs or affiliations, right, uh, it is an issue that will affect, that already affects every one of us, right? Um, and uh, local pathways, policies may differ, right? Uh, because this has to be adapted to the local context. Uh, but I believe that this momentum has started, it is growing, mm. is unstoppable, uh, and if anything, uh, we'll likely see an acceleration of uh, momentum, uh, whether this is in terms of uh, government policies or business action to address this crisis. If we don't address this crisis, right, uh, I think uh, there will be uh, even more costs that we'll need to bear as societies, as economies going forward. Uh, the risks are very, very evident. Uh, we've just uh, released our global risk report this year, and again, environmental yes. risks are ranked at the top. And the, the longer we procrastinate and delay our actions, the higher the cost it will be. And if we can act today, I think uh, the opportunities will be uh, for those who move early and who move fast uh, to, to have that competitive and comparative advantage in the new economy of mm. the future. But are you ready for possible disappointment, flip-flop of policies, uh, more uncertainties as a result of uh, all of the political events and geopolitical events that are going on this year? I think we need to continue to bring uh, the facts, the science, uh, the voice of the people uh, to the table, right? Uh, and having that common understanding Right, uh, will also give us a much better chance of finding common ground in which partnerships can be built, whether these are public-private partnerships, private-private partnerships, or partnerships with communities uh, to jointly address a, a crisis that will affect all of us. Before we go, the World Economic Forum has been such a bridge trying to link uh, different kinds of uh, people, interests, agendas together. How do you, after joining the forum and working on this very important area of green and climate change and biodiversity, understand the challenges of being a bridge, the challenges of building a bridge, but yet the charm of being part of the bridge? Indeed, the, the forum's uh, mission has to been to build bridges across geographies uh, between different uh, stakeholders. Uh, and it's important for us uh, that we can continue to create a platform uh, that allows for uh, open conversations, right? Uh, to also be able to forge partnerships that are founded on uh, a common vision, right? Uh, and anchored on uh, values of collaboration uh, and trust to uh, address the, the most important and the most critical challenges that we confront with together. 
right? Because everybody has a role to play. Everybody can contribute to building that future that is, uh, that is a lot more in harmony with nature and that also supports uh, lives, livelihoods and a better future for our children and future generations. That's Kim Hui Neil from the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum Crystal Award celebrates the achievements of leading artists who are bridge builders and society's role models. Diebido Francis Kille, a talented architect who was born and raised in Western Africa, is one of the 2024 Crystal Award recipients. He is known for architecture that empowers and transforms communities, especially contemporary schools, health facilities, civic buildings, and public spaces in infrastructure-hungry developing countries. He seeks solutions to challenges, including the gap between the rich and the poor. His well-known work in his hometown, Gando Primary School, is a testament to his architectural gifts and philosophy. He believes people have the right to enjoy quality, comfortable living, even in the developing world. Here is my exclusive interview with Mr. Kelly. Francis, what a pleasure to see you. No, I am very, very honored. I'm happy to be able to speak to you on this great occasion. You know, I was reading through the materials uh, sent by your friends to me. It was just amazing how you managed to build so many things, schools, house facilities, museums, you know, parliamentary buildings, and also, you know, for the, uh, the, fe the outdoor festivals, everything. How did you manage to do that? Where does all these inspiration come from? <laughs> it's a passion and a love for design is the passion and the love to create space that will inspire people, that will give people chance to celebrate themselves, to stay in intimacy, to be with their friends, to be with their family. It is this love like the, you know, that is pushing me to create what I'm doing. I, I totally believe in that because without that, there's no real drive. But you know, you've been building so many things, including uh, you know, very low budget school for yeah. Uh, developing countries, particularly in your home country and home continent, Africa. So what is the, the architecture with the lowest budget you ever built? <laughs> um, no, it, it's actually, it is my very first school, the school that I built in my, my home village. Let me say, honestly, there was no budget, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I yeah, thought you, you know? were going to say $1,000 or $2,000, but, but there's yeah. zero that budget. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then, but I had to create a foundation to find uh, people that will donate me the little money that I needed to buy the material. And, uh, you know, all the work came from the community. You know, I had to convince everyone to support build the school. And that it happened, it happened. And is so making my people today very proud, you know, very proud. I saw the photo of that school, very unique. And it builds beautifully with uh, you know, the surroundings and the lighting of the day uh, and also the colors being combined as well as the local materials. Uh, tell yeah. me more about how you came up with that idea. How did it work eventually? We have to say that it's uh, very hot. So in my home country, it can be very hot. And at the same time, people are really curious 
enthusiastic for new things. And that is another aspect that is important to highlight. Uh, people being using clay like for, to build their houses for generations. But you know, nowadays people consider clay to be poor people material. So first of, of all, I needed to improve the quality of clay, you know, just putting a little bit of cement and making bricks that look so regular through uh, compression, you know. You built after the school, which is your first building, you said, uh, you also yeah. built so many other things, like we said earlier, hospitals, uh, parliamentary buildings, and you're building around the world now. But you said Famously, one thing which I think really needs to be noted in this interview, you said it's not because you are rich that you should waste materials. It is not because you are poor that you should not try to create quality. I love that. This is a fact. Innovation and industry is great. Industrialization is great for our future. But it's also, we have to know that they brought things that are causing a big burden. I'm thinking about plastic and certain other materials that now has become part of our concern. Mm, I think the future of architecture will be how we combine all these elements with natural resources to create space for people. We, building will still be needed tomorrow, but that is how we balance all of these together. Because you yourself, I mean, you grew up uh, on the African continent in Burkina Faso, right? If I remember yes. right. And yes. also you yourself experienced the days when you don't have enough lighting, when you are in a very poorly uh, furnitured or built uh, classroom, uh, when you were a student there. So you know yes. exactly what the student wanted and how to achieve it. You put your heart in it, it seems. Exactly, exactly. In my, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I had to leave my family when I was seven to go to a, 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 a city 20 kilometers far to attend education. But 20 kilometers doesn't sound like uh, far. But imagine there is even no, at that time, no bike. The only one holding bicycle, you could count them. There was only a few people in my village owning bicycle, you know, so... If you think about transportation and you see that the only, the only means of transportation is a, a bicycle owned by a few people, and then there is a donkey, you know, then you, 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 understand, you understand how far 20 kilometer may be. And so I went there to attend school, and then I was, it revolted me to see that you, outside there was a sunlight so bright, but inside, you couldn't be, you could barely read because there was no light. You know, it was like tiny little openings and also it was hot inside. And in my head, let me say, I was growing the idea to make things better one day when I become adult. You know, that is very simple. And so to create better classrooms for kids and, and even more to, to do better architecture. Now that is how it started. And so, um, but if I'm like taking my time to really be myself, I will tell you doing the projects always for me is like, wow, I want to fascinate people. I want to inspire people through my architecture. I want to take, take elements from my culture to bring it to places where I think 
it is needed, you know, to show the abundance of fantasy, you know, and imagination from my culture. Like if I do a project in the US, I will do everything so that people know this continent has more to deliver than misery, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is what I'm trying to bring. And then also trying to be to be careful with material, you know. I think everywhere in the world we need quality as a <laughs> you know, as I said, and that I'm trying to really think about elements like the environment also, uh, because we, it is a big concern. And that's what I'm trying to also introduce into yeah. my architecture. That's my conversation with Diebedo Francis Kelly, a celebrated architect who is a recipient of the Crystal Award for the World Economic Forum 2024. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of my team, thanks for being with us. Bye for now.